So I want to begin with a confession. This has been a really hard sermon to prepare. I love today's scriptures, the stories and the backgrounds of the characters, the messages that we can glean, the hope that we can find. But all of these are wrapped in this idea of sight, of God seeing us for exactly who we are, and of challenging us to see ourselves and others as God does. And we don't get to see each other face to face. But I know, even though we don't get to see one another, that we are still together. And maybe now is exactly the time we need to hear these scriptures. When many of us now have added time on our hands to really reflect, to spend time with God. When we're struggling to see God's light and work in the midst of the darkness that we feel creeping in. When many of us are missing one another, feeling isolated and missing seeing one another, feeling one another's embrace. When we're seeing people on the news, online, even in the grocery stores, some at their very best and some not so much. When we're seeing people act out of self-concern and fear and worry, as well as out of care for one another, with hope in the midst of the unknown. I think the challenge and the hope of today's scriptures, of seeking to see ourselves and one another as God truly sees us, is exactly what we need. But before we dive into the word, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come together this morning from all sorts of places, knowing that even if we can't see one another, we are together. But God, it's hard. It's hard not to let the distance and isolation, the worries about all that is happening to us, get to us. As we spend time in your word, help us to see and to be your light in the midst of the darkness many of us feel. Help us to learn to see ourselves and others the way you see us, putting aside human standards and the things that keep us from recognizing you in everything and everyone. May we know you as the God who sees each of us for who we fully are, your beloved children. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our God. Amen. So throughout scriptures, we get a multitude of names for God. Different ways that people describe who God is and what God does. One of the descriptions that I love the most comes from the early chapters of Genesis. el Roy, it means the God who sees me. Hagar first uses it to describe her experience, her encounters with God, when she's turned away from her home, seen as a disposable piece of property, seen with contempt by the very person who gave her over to bear a child for doing what she was told to do. Hagar flees into the wilderness, rendered a fugitive. And there, in that darkness, in that wilderness, God finds her. God sees her and looks far into the future of both her and the child she will bear. That is when she responds by calling God the God who sees me, recognizing that nothing, neither distance nor time nor anything we do, can limit God's seeing. The idea of God seeing continues throughout scriptures. We begin today by hearing Samuel's choosing of David. But Samuel's story 
His experience with the God who sees begins long before this point. It begins even before his own birth. When Hannah, longing for a child, in pain and sorrow, crying out to God, is seen by God, is remembered by God. She would in turn bear Samuel, who would be raised in the temple, learning to see God even when others, even the religious leaders training him, failed to see God. He became a judge, a prophet, a seer. But even as he was known for his relationship with God, for his ability to see God and God working, he was still learning to see as God sees. He's still learning to see God and others, to see as God sees when he anoints Israel's first king, Saul. Samuel sees what the world does in Saul. He's an idealized man. He's very, very tall. He's handsome. Everything we think of as a good leader. But Saul was not everything that appeared to the eye. He let his power and control go to his head. And God ends up rejecting him and his leadership, calling Samuel to anoint a new king. That's where we find ourselves today in our first scripture. Samuel doesn't understand God's rejection of Saul. He knows that he doesn't see the whole picture. He knows that his life is at risk if Saul finds out what he's doing. And he knows that God only gave him a small part of the plan. But he trusts that God has seen a king among Jesse's sons. He trusts that if he's living out his calling, God will help direct his steps forward. Samuel, however, is still seeing with human eyes. He's focusing on human qualities. So it becomes almost this comical scene. Samuel, Jesse, and seven of Jesse's sons all begin the sacrifice, and the men are paraded before Samuel. Eliab, the oldest, goes first. He's tall. He's easy on the eyes. He looks like a leader. Samuel thinks his job is done, but he's rebuked by God. God is looking for a leader with heart and soul. God is looking inwardly at the whole person, not human looks. Stop looking at the external, God tells him. See who they really are. So this parade continues. Tall, handsome men paraded before him, and God rejects each and every one of them. Now Samuel knows that God has seen a new king from among Jesse's sons, but this king isn't here. So Samuel turns to Jesse. Is there another? Do you have any more sons? Jesse then speaks of his youngest, a mere boy out in the field tending to the sheep. Not important. It's as if everyone had forgotten about David up until this point. The fact that he wasn't included gives us some insight into his status in the family. And the word that Jesse uses as his youngest, it also means smallest and the least. And when David finally arrives, he's smelly and dirty from his work. This is not what we think of as a king. But this, this mere boy is exactly who God sees. And Samuel anoints him. In the midst of it all, we're told, despite his age and his small stature, he's still ready. And he has beautiful eyes. Hinting not just at his human looks, but has his ability to see. Though any of us who are familiar with the story of King David know that David, 
a man after God's own heart, according to scripture, doesn't always see as God sees. Yet God never gives up on him, even when his all-too-human eyes lead him into some very serious troubles. Even when he fails to see that same wanton look in his son after his own mistakes. Because once again, God sees the whole person. God sees him and us trying and failing and trying all over again. God sees us trying to understand just who God is as we move forward in our faith. But it seems like we're always struggling as humans with this idea of sight. We let ourselves get wrapped up in the darkness of our own fears and assumptions, our insecurities, our worries, whatever it may be. And we fail to see God at work in us and around us, fail to see ourselves and one another as God sees. The world didn't learn from the lives and the experiences of those in the Old Testament. And when Jesus entered the world, he worked to try to help others fully see. Our gospel story today begins with an age-old question. Who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or his parents? The disciples' questions reflect a common thought of the time. His disability, his blindness, it was all they could see. And they assumed, wrongly, that it had to be because someone did something wrong. It's a mindset that whether we want to admit it or not, it's still sometimes prevalent in our world. But Jesus makes it clear that this man's blindness was not about wrongdoing and that there was so much more to this man than his lack of physical sight. Jesus sees this man before the man realizes he's there. And before the man even knows what he needs, Jesus approaches. Willing to get his hands dirty, Jesus mixes his spit with dirt rubs it on the man's eyes, and tells him to go and wash. Without fully understanding, without fully seeing what God was doing, the man responds. And as the mud washes off his eyes, the man's sight is restored. But the story doesn't end there. People notice the change. They see something different in the man, but they're unable or unwilling to really see what happened. For the first time in his life, people began to see the man and not his blindness. Even the man himself wasn't quite sure what happened. But as the religious leaders and others in town come to him, question him about what's happened, he grows in his own understanding simply by telling his story over and over. Even though he doesn't fully get it yet, he begins to defend Jesus and all that's occurred simply by telling them what happened. And we see his growth as we see how he talks. He begins by saying the man named Jesus. Then he calls Jesus a prophet, then a man from God. By the end of the scene, by the time Jesus returns, he understands that Jesus is the chosen one. The man doesn't try to argue with the crowds about whether or not Jesus is a sinner, whether or not Jesus could perform these miracles or how, he simply continues to share his experience. He doesn't let their unbelief, their own spiritual blindness, the inability to see what is going on right in front of them, stop him from trying to understand who he is, what Jesus saw in him, 
and who this Jesus was. But as he tells his own story, as he shares his own messy transformation, those around him begin to hunker down in their blindness. They try to identify Jesus as a sinner. Since he had, by their rules, broken the Sabbath, he couldn't have been God's sent. But they couldn't deny that a miracle as grand as this could not have been performed by someone other than a God-sent servant. They try to poke holes at the miracle itself, questioning the once blind man's identity, questioning his parents. But it's clear that this healing is real. The man is well known in the town. They try to call the blind man a sinner, saying he can't be a credible witness. But they actually acknowledge the miracle in the process. And even when Jesus returns, calling them out on their own sin and blindness, they remain in the darkness of their own rules and assumptions and plain stubbornness. They miss out on seeing what God is doing because they can't see or won't see beyond their human eyes. This inability to see beyond human rules and standards continues long after Jesus. Paul has to literally be knocked down and blinded in order to see Jesus before him. As he grows as a follower of Jesus, he grows in his ability to see. Ability to see others and see himself the way God does, as God's beloved family. And he strives to help others see, to step out of the darkness that seems to be creeping in and circling, overcoming us, and to step into God's light in the midst of it. Reminding the Ephesians and us to live into that light, to live into the people God sees them as and created them to be. Now, I wish I could say that the world has learned from Jesus, learned from Samuel, learned from Paul, learned from all of those who have gone before us. But all too often, we remain blind, or at least we struggle to step into the light and see as God sees. We let our worries and fears overcome us. We let our doubts creep in. And in times like this, where many of us have all the time in the world to think, we overthink. And the darkness seems thicker and thicker. But I think we can use this time to reflect on who God is and how God sees each of us. And I think that needs to start with ourselves. Because until we learn to see ourselves and love ourselves as God created us, to see ourselves in the way God does rather than the world does, not letting our doubts and our insecurities contort those views, until we learn to do that, it's truly hard to love one another. Those assumptions, those doubts, their insecurities, they keep us in the self-inflicted darkness. They keep us from recognizing God in us and in one another. And it keeps us from living out God's love and light in the world. For me, that's meant working and continuing to work on seeing myself as strong and capable of the calling that God has given me. For years, I doubted myself. I let my anxiety and my depression and my insecurities get the best of me to keep me from trying to fully live out my calling because I assumed, and I still do sometimes, that there's someone better equipped out there to fill my role in my calling. I let people's questions about my age and my gender, even my height, get to me, ignoring the fact that that was all about appearance and not about my calling. 
I saw my depression like others saw this man's blindness as a punishment for something I must have done. And I heard that reiterated by some well-intending but ultimately not helpful Christians along the way. It took reflection. It took time with God, time in conversation with others, time sharing my own messy story with those around me to understand that those were just parts of me, not a punishment and not my identity. With God, I found ways to use my own struggles to connect with others. I just had to quit seeing myself as a depressed one. That was not my identity, and that's not how God sees me. I had to trust that God sees something in me and sees something in all of us to call us as God does. And once we confront that lack of clarity about who God sees us individually, we can move into seeing God in the world, seeing God in one another, and helping others see as well. When we work together to see God at work, when we help point out God in one another, transformation happens. It happens in ourselves, it happens in one another, it happens out in the world. When we work to see God in ourselves and one another, it's easier to lend a hand, offer empathy and care. When we're better able to put those assumptions and insecurities aside, we can live into this new reality and get rid of the walls that we build up. And then hopefully in doing so, we can encourage others to do the same, to live their best rather than those of us who are living in fear. Because when we seek God and we seek to see as God does, the world will take notice. I remember when I was 16 and it was right before junior year of high school started and I was applying to transfer schools. Part of the admissions process was a one-on-one -on -one interview with an admissions officer and I was nervous. Our conversation covered a little bit of everything, but it was when religion came up that I tensed up. This was a Christian school. It was something I was excited about but I still felt like a baby Christian. We had gone to church on and off over the years. We were the Christmas and Easter folks, maybe a few times throughout the year. And it had been less than a year since my mom and I had started attending church regularly, started teaching children Sunday school. I was learning by studying and teaching, but I felt like I understood so very little about my faith. So when she asked me about my faith, I told her that I knew the basics, but that I felt like I had so much to learn. I needed people around me to help me grow. What she said has always stuck with me. She told me that faith is about so much more than knowing the stories. It's about our relationship with God and with one another, and the way that living out our faith transforms us. People, she said, will see your faith simply by you living into it by you being who God sees you as. Whether they understand it at first or not, they will see that there's something different about you, and that is the light of God in you. As your faith grows, as you bring that into your life, it will only grow. Like the man born blind, people notice our relationship with God. They notice the difference it makes in our lives. Sometimes those experiences are messy, Sometimes they don't make any sense at all until we take the time to fully explore them, to tell them time and time again. But when we take time to be with God, to see ourselves as God sees, 
and then seek to see one another in the same way. God's light shines. We're transformed. And we can live fully into ourselves rather than with our fears and doubts. We're in a time of isolation and social distancing where it's hard to physically see one another. So let's find ways to really see, see ourselves and see our community. And let that guide what we do for the world to see. Even if they only see it through a call or a check-in or a Zoom meeting, whatever that is. It might not mean that all of our fears and doubts are alleviated. We're still going to worry about our high-risk friends. We're still going to worry about medical personnel. We're still going to worry about our futures, jobs, bills. All of those concerns are still there. But it might help us see the light and to be the light in the midst of this darkness we're all feeling to give us pieces of hope to rise above it. And maybe, just maybe, it'll help us focus that anxious energy on something that's going to grow us all. Thanks be to God that we have a God who sees us, sees me and you and all of us. Amen.